Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Are, are you like me in that in the, when you go into somebody's house for the first time, and they have pictures out on the, on the whatever, credenza, or a dining room table, or a piece of furniture in the house, or whatever, you go over and look at those pictures. You want to get a glimpse of what's, what's, what are the things, what are the events, what are the, what are the seasons of life for, for that family. Or It gives you kind of a snapshot into who they are. gives you a snapshot into what's important to them. Uh, gives you a snapshot into perhaps some stages of their life that were significant. And, and you're, you're, you're kind of led into that world just for a moment. This is kind of our approach for the next three weeks as we head up to Christmas here, looking toward who is this Jesus? Who is he really? What's he about? Well, I think if he had snapshots out on a piece of furniture, they would show him as healer, they would show him as forgiver, and they would show him as lover. They would show him healing someone, forgiving someone, and loving someone, because those, I think, are the three most out there characteristics that he had or has. Among many. But those are the things that were, at least in his ministry, more obvious than anything else. The way he loved, the way he forgave, and the way he healed. And we're going to look at those three with healing first. Now, before you, before you get all weird on me about healing, um, I want you to see what's in the Word about it and put that into practice. And we're going to do that tonight. We're going to, we're going to close tonight a little differently than we normally do. But don't panic on me. We're not, I don't have, you know, somebody up here in suits to catch you when you, when we hit you and you fall down or anything like that. We're not going to hit anybody and nobody's falling. I hope not. Anyway, but uh, turn to Isaiah 53 and we'll look at this first snapshot of, of healing through the, through the lens of, of Isaiah, the prophet. He is probably the most paramount among the prophets, especially in writing in, in relation to the birth of Christ, and the, the crucifixion of Christ as well. So we're going to see his account led by the Holy Spirit of what he says here as it relates to, to healing. Uh, chapter 53 of Isaiah, and these, these couple to three verses here with, with verse four, uh, verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Now, the first thing I want us to see from this passage, and we'll spend the rest of our time in James, but this first one I want us to see here, is that healing comes at a cost. And there are eight descriptive words In this chapter, in these two verses, that point to the cost. Look at them. In fact, if, I would encourage if you get a pen to underline them. Infirmities, stricken, smitten, afflicted, pierced, crushed, punishment, wounds. The, the further this goes, the more you see there's a tremendous cost to be paid to end up where we end up in the latter part of verse 5, saying, by his wounds, we're healed. 
Well, what got us to those wounds? The fact he was stricken, he was smitten, he was afflicted. There's a, there's a significant cost paid, and, and I want you to see the cost a little bit as, as we begin tonight, because this should te- really tell us a couple of things. The costliness of it should tell us that whether our sickness is, is physical, whether our sickness is spiritual, whether our sickness is marital, whether our sickness is relational, whether our sickness is mental, whether our sickness is emotional, regardless of whether, where, where our sickness is, and all of us are probably sick to some degree, but regardless of where our sickness is, the first thing this tells us is we are not alone in that. He's walked in a hard place. He's walked through a valley. He's walked through some suffering. He's experienced some hardship. He's experienced some things that you and I experience in sickness that it brings on. Now, that ought to be a great comfort to you and I because the one who does the healing, if he understands the sickness, he heals far more deeply and far more completely. If he doesn't understand the healing, he just throws a pill at it. He just throws something at it to say, okay, try that. Let's try that the way most physicians do. But this physician, this healer, understands the sickness. He understands the infirmity. He understands the hardship. He understands the suffering. Understands all of that to its nth degree and can consequently heal more deeply, more lastingly, better than anyone else. We're not alone in that because he's walked, he's walked there. Um, in essence, our pain is his pain, more or less. He's, he, has a, he has an inside-out view, unlike anyone else, unlike your family, unlike your friends. You can, you can tell your friends and your family that, and they can see it oftentimes in the countenance of your face, that there's a sickness there, there's some hurt there, there's some pain there. But they can't do anything about it. They can encourage you, they can pray for you, but he has an inside-out view of that. If you know him personally and you have a relationship with him, his Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so he has an inside-out view of that sickness. He has an inside-out view of what's causing that pain, what's bringing about that suffering. And because he has an inside-out view, and because he has walked in the same place, or a similar place, he understands. As I said, he understands what the healing process needs because he not only knows you and your unique sickness to you, he knows you and your and you. He knows each of us uniquely and what it takes to meet each of our needs uniquely. Why? Because he's experienced that and he lives inside of us. Has an inside-out view. The second thing that, that this, should, this should point to, uh, this cost, is not only that are we alone, but it, it cost him his life, and consequently it's always going to cost us something significant. Experiencing God's healing is going to cost us something significant. Usually, not always, but usually, pretty significant life change. Our habits, our attitudes, our conversation, some of our relationships are going to have to change. For us to experience the kind of healing God wants us to experience. Because healing in us is, in essence, change in itself. It's changing a a condition. It's changing a thought process. It's changing behavior. It's changing something in us. Now, if change is already difficult for you, healing is going to be a difficult process for you. But if you're open to change already, then life change would be something that's welcomed, hopefully, as the Holy Spirit starts to noodle around your heart and urge you and lead you and open doors for you. And it's, we're going to see these conditions on healing in just a moment. But as you see the Holy Spirit start to work, if you've already seen him bring about change in your life that's been for your good and for your growth, it's a whole lot easier to trust him the second time around. Why? Because he knows me. And he knows how I'm wired. And he knows what my needs are. And he knows that 
this sickness in me, whether, as I said, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, whether it's uh, relational, marital, you fill in the blank. Regardless of what the source of the sickness is, he knows exactly about it even greater to a greater extent than I do. Consequently, he can heal at a deeper level than anything or anyone else can. Life change. Now, turn to James chapter 5. And the, the rest of our portion tonight will be in this, in, in this passage here in James. Let's read verses 13 to 16 of James chapter 5 and see what we can glean here about his healing. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, not only does our healing, first of all, come at a cost. It cost him his life. It's going to cost us something as well. Secondly, it comes with effort. It comes with effort. In verse, well, verses 13 and 14 speak to that. Look at these phrases. He should pray. Let him sing songs. He should call. There's some initiative made on the part of the person needing the healing. There's, there's not just this, this passive approach to, I need God's healing, and I'm just going to sit back in repose here until... You know, the, the, I hear the angel choirs start to sing, and I sense this, this, this moment of his coming down to, to heal me supernaturally. There's, there needs to be some effort made on our part to get toward the healer, to get toward the source of the healing. Um, in fact, every, about every example that I can think of um, in the Gospels as it related to God healing somebody miraculously, they made effort at it. Bartimaeus was blind, sitting out beside the road, couldn't see him coming, but could hear the commotion coming. Shots, shouts at the top of his lungs, son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. Crying out at the top of his lungs, making every effort he can to get the blindness healed. This lady who had an issue of blood, who had, who had to, uh, uh, to get to him to fight through the crowd, to touch the very hem of his garment, to reach out touch the very hem of his garment in the middle of the crowd. And he senses power leave out from him and, and knows that somebody's touched him. But she fought through. And instantly, as she touched his garment, her, blood, her bleeding stopped. The problem was healed miraculously. But she fights through the crowd to get to the healer. Why? Because she knows he can heal. You know the story of these four guys who bring their friend to the house where Jesus is preaching and can't get inside. They're coming out the doors, coming out the windows, head up on top of the roof, dig out a hole, tie some ropes onto a pallet, and lower him down in front of Jesus. There's some effort made. There needs to be some effort. There's a great lesson in that for you and I. There needs to be some effort made if we need God's healing. We need to move toward the healer. We can't stay where we are passively and say, well, God, you know, as soon as you show up and take care of this healing, I'm all, all good and I'll get back in the game. No, that's not the way he works. He works in our pursuit of him. He works to bless our pursuit of him and to, to bring about healing in the process of that pursuit. Now, on the other hand, the enemy works in our complacency. The enemy works in our lethargy as we, as, as we sit around and, and we're waiting on God to get back in the game, waiting on God to, to fix us up, to make us right, to, to heal what's wrong, to get back in the game. And the enemy is saying all the time, you just wait right here. Wait right here. And as soon as you're healed, 
You'll get back in the game. As soon as God steps in and corrects this problem, delivers you from the suffering, heals your body, heals your mind, heals your spirit, heals this relationship, as soon as you experience that, man, you're back in the game. You'll be ready to go. So make sure you're, make sure you're, you're seasoned here and ready to go. That's not the way God works. It's the way the enemy works. The enemy says, you wait, wait on the Lord. And I know scripture says, wait on the Lord, you'll mount up with strength, the new, new, give a new strength, mount up with wings as eagles. But as it relates to healing here, he wants us to pursue him. He wants us to know that he's the healer and he's worth pursuing. It's an active role on our part. It requires some effort. Third thing is this, is that our healing comes with conditions. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. One of the two conditions here on his healing is confession. Confession. Uh, in fact, without confession, according to this verse, there can be no healing. If we're unwilling to confess, he is unwilling to heal. Now, why is confession such a difficult thing for us? Because it's hard for each of us to admit failure. It's hard to, for each of us to admit the fact that we're in need. We looked this morning at our, during our men's Bible study at, the, at this example of Peter. And how Peter, right after the... the, the, uh, the Lord's table together there that they shared around. And Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives to pray. And the soldiers come and arrest him. And, and, and Peter sees what's going on. Grabs a, One of the gospel accounts says he grabs a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. And Jesus heals the ear and puts it back on. And they take Jesus away. Peter finds himself in the courtyard warming himself by the fire. Jesus is inside among the Sanhedrin. And, and they're trying to figure out what to do with him. And he gets questioned two or three times or three times, two times by in one situation, it moves a little closer and questioned again a third time by someone else. And all of those times denies the very Lord that he said he'd go to death for just a day earlier. Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he's here on the earth for 40 days. And one of his appearances were by the seashore. He comes to the seashore. The disciples are out, most of them out fishing. And he sees the boats. They recognize him. He calls out to him. They recognize him. Make their way as fast as they can. He's got a fire prepared. They bring some fish in and share breakfast there together. And you, you know the story. He asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. I said, you know, feed my sheep. Goes on again, Peter, do, do you love me? Just you and me, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Ask him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And the third time, Peter's, Peter's response is hurtful. You can see that in John 21. He's, he's hurt by his response. Why? Because he realizes the very nature of the lesson. <laughs> he realizes his failure. He realizes those three times he denied God or denied a relationship with Jesus. And now with his third question, he realizes what Jesus is doing. And he's broken by that and hurt by that. And his response to him is, "You know, Lord, you know everything. <laughs> you can see into my heart. You know that I love you. You know what I'm telling you is true. You know that I'm being truthful with you. And Jesus does. But he does that to teach Peter a lesson about failure. And he does that to teach him a lesson about redemption. To say, I know you failed. I'm reminding you of your failure, but I want to use the same failure to bring glory to me. I don't want you to clean up. I don't, want, I don't want all this corrected. I don't want you to come to me neatly. I want you to come to me with whatever crap you have. And I want to clean it up and use it for my glory. Now, Peter got the story. It took him a while to get it, but he got the story. Failure oftentimes is associated with confession. That if we confess to each other and to the Lord, our issues, our problems, the things that need healing in our lives and in our relationships, it's, it's somehow admitting failure, or maybe to a certain degree it is. What we need to learn, though, is that it's in the failure that God is glorified. He's not defeated by failure. Failure is no threat to him. 
It shouldn't be to us. Uh, but this condition of confession he takes seriously. Um, why? Because in it, as we confess our, our inability to bring about healing to ourselves, we are by, by nature of doing that, revealing to ourselves and to others around, he's the only source for healing. I can't do this. I can't bring it on my own. There's not a book. There's not a song. There's not a message. There's not a church. There's not a pastor. There's not a friend. There's, there's not a spouse. There's nobody that can bring the healing to my heart, to my life, to my circumstances, to my body that I need other than him. He's the only one. That's what confession does. It reveals that to us and to everyone else who's around to hear that. He already knows that. Um, but without confession, unless we're willing to, to swallow our pride enough to confess, we can never experience the healing touch of God. It's just that simple. Now, that's blatant truth in verse 16, but that's exactly what he's saying. That's one of the conditions, confession. Let's look at the other one. Finally, our healing comes through prayer. And that's the latter part of verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing throughout Scripture, you can go back and look at, look at the accounts of the miracles. You can, you can look at the accounts of the apostles early in the book of Acts. Healing almost always, almost always, not every time, but almost always is accompanied by prayer in the Scripture. Now, I don't think that's accidental. It's accidental to reinforce this concept that we're seeing here in James to say, do you need healing? Then if you need healing, the vehicle to healing is confession and prayer. Without confession, without prayer, no healing can occur in your, in your life, in your body, in your circumstance, in your world, in your situation. Healing is tied to confession. Healing is tied to prayer. Now, what does this tell us? It tells us that, that, that our healing has less to do about an event and more to do about relationship. Most of us are event-oriented people. We tie success. We tie joy. We tie jubilation. We, try, we tie sorrow. We tie a lot of things in our life to events. I remember when this occurred, when this occurred, and I felt like this, and this was my response, and this is what happened, and this is my takeaway from it. And we tie most of life to events. That's why there are pictures in our, in our homes to record those events. Our lives are, are tied to events. Here's what I want you to see. God didn't work that way. Healing is not tied to an event. That's why very seldom, I'm not saying never here, so don't hear me say that I'm, don't, don't hear me say God never spontaneously and instantaneously healed. He does. He absolutely does. But seldom does that occur. Seldom does God heal instantaneously and right on the money, right on the mark. We pray and we're healed. Can God do it? Yes. Does he still do it? Yes, he does. But that's the exception and not the rule. The rule usually is he is a God of process. He is a God who works in our circumstances, works in our surroundings, works in our relationships for us to see him bringing about the healing in us that we're in need of. He is a process God. Now, here's why he's a process God. He already sees the end product. He can heal instantaneously as, as he wants to, as he wills to for us. In response to prayer, in response to no prayer. He can heal anytime he wants to, given any circumstance he wants to heal in. Why does he not do that? Because he wants us to see how he works. He wants us to see the process by which he works. He wants to see confession. He wants to see prayer. He wants to see us focused on his word and living by his spirit as we submit to this fact that he's the healer. I'm walking in his way. I'm following his process if I want to experience his hand of healing in my life. Now, 
As I say, that's difficult for us because most of us are very event-oriented people. And so we've got to rethink and unlearn this, this idea that I'm expecting God to show up and respond to this prayer instantaneously and heal and correct my situation instantaneously. When God is looking at our situation and saying, I want you to see me, not the healing. I can heal you anytime I want to, at any rate that I want to, through any, any means that I want to. What I want you to see is the healer, not you being healed, but the healer. Drastically different things there. Because coming to him to demand his instantaneous healing is, is basically making him no more than Santa Claus. Here's the gift. I'll open it up. It brings me joy instantaneously. But we miss the lesson in how God heals, in how the healer works. Now, I know that's not grand news to all of us if we're, if we're sick in some way, regardless of what that is, because we want that instantaneously. In fact, we're conditioned to that. We're conditioned in our world to the fact that, that uh, uh, John Reese and Michael Weston and, and Leroy Jethro Gibbs, within an hour, the world's right, isn't it? Situation's corrected. Life isn't like that. In fact, law enforcement even didn't like that. Life isn't like that. It didn't work that way. There are processes to things. And that's what he wants us to see. I want you to see how I work to bring about healing in you. Now, it's all coming from me. But you're pursuing me. You're making effort. It's, you're understanding that it costs me something, and it's going to cost you something, and you're making effort at it, and you're getting the fact that confession and prayer are tied to it. But I want you to see every step along the way as me at work in you. Not to give you this grandiose dream come true that you've expected this healing to be or experience. But you're seeing me as a process God. If we can't see him in that way, it's going to be really difficult for us to understand how he works. Consequently, we'll lack the faith in prayer that we can be healed. The faith oftentimes we associate with the instantaneous. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the faith that will create enough stamina for you to continue to confess, continue to pray, continue to have the effort to pursue me, continue to seek me, continue to understand my process and my ways about healing for you. And, boy, that's, it, it causes us to look at prayer differently. We talked about that, in fact, last year as we were walking through Romans and, 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 and dealt with prayer one week. And, and what I tried to get the Scripture to help us see was prayer is not about changing God's mind. Never has been. Prayer is about God changing our attitude. It's about changing our posture. It's about our submission to him. It's not about changing God's mind. That's not what prayer is for. So until we can rethink prayer and see it as a process of growth by faith, we'll never understand the significance of it in our life. And consequently, it won't have the effect in us that we desire it to. But when we see prayer as a process as a faith-building process whereby God changes us, changes our mind, changes our attitude, consequently changes our behavior, we, see the, we start to see the effects of prayer. We start to see the effects of confession. Now, as I said earlier, tonight we're going to be doers of the word. And I want to encourage you to let's not just be hearers of the word tonight, but to be doers. And we're going to, to model what this scripture says. We're going to... Uh, Close our time tonight with a time of confession and a time of prayer. The time of confession, I'm not, please don't misunderstand what this is and isn't. I'm not, this isn't standing and confessing all your sins as far back as you can remember, because God's already forgiven all those. What he's relating confession to here in this text in James is, you confess the hurt. 
Confess the sickness. Confess the very thing that you want me to heal, that you're bringing to me to lay before my feet. And then take that confession and turn it into prayer. And that's exactly what he's talking about there in verse 16 of James 5. That's what I want to encourage us to do tonight. I hope tonight we'll, we'll leave not only, hopefully all of us, cleansed but encouraged that, you know, my sickness isn't physical. It may not be cancer. My sickness may be relational. My sickness may be my attitude. My sickness may be my will. My sickness may be physical. My sickness may be emotional. My marriage may be sick. My family may be sick. My heart may be broken. And it needs to be healed. Whatever there is in us, I want to to give you and allow us tonight a time to confess to. And and that's as you see confession in verse 16, it's to confess to each other, he said. And when you pray, pray for each other. So this is a collective body of Christ thing that he's talking about doing here. He said, you'll, you'll experience my healing as a result of that. So I want to be doers of the word and not hearers. So we're going to close tonight's time with a time of confession. And then after that time of confession, we're going to have a time of prayer. And um, after that time of prayer, we're going to sing and, and, and go home. The change, though, that should occur in our hearts is making the scripture come alive in our lives and our being obedient to it. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.